I think we would all agree that wisdom is a good thing, a desirable thing. What I'm not so sure we would agree on is what wisdom actually is. If you look up dictionary definitions on wisdom, what you start to find is that wisdom is usually defined as being about knowledge or experience or making good judgments. But once you start digging into the Bible, you actually come away with a sense of that God's definition of wisdom is quite different from those. And we're going to get into that, but before we do that, let's start with what we do agree on, that wisdom is a good thing. If you do a quick search through quotes from famous people about wisdom, you find all sorts of things. Plato, from 400 BC, this Greek philosopher, he said, If you are wise, all men will be your friends and kindred, for you will be useful. If you go on into the 1700s, there's this guy named Lord Chesterfield, who has a great name, by the way. Uh, He's this English statesman, right? And he says, be wise, or sorry, be wiser than other people, if you can, uh, but, but do not tell them so. So this is the world's thoughts about wisdom. There's an agreement that, yeah, wisdom is a good thing. It should be something that we want. And that actually sounds very similar to what the Bible tells us. There's all sorts of verses that talk about the value of wisdom, how we should pursue and get wisdom. In particular, the book of Proverbs, which came well before the time of Plato, talks a lot about wisdom. One verse, I'll just give you as an example, Proverbs 16, 16 says this, How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. So wisdom is good, but what is it? If you turn to me, if you turn to me, if you turn with me to the book of James, you'll find some thoughts about wisdom. So we're going to go to James chapter 3. That's where we're up to. And we're going to be in the second part of James chapter 3. Last week, we talked about taming the tongue, looking after the words that we speak. And this week, we're going to be in verse 13 through 18. I'll start us off with reading again. It says this, verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Verse 13 jumps in straight away with giving us a clue that wisdom, God's way, looks a little bit different. It has this strange phrase. It it talks about, yes, show your wisdom. And this isn't surprising because James has been talking about showing, proving our faith all throughout the book so far. But it ends in verse 13, the back half of it, by saying, show his works in the meekness of wisdom. That's a bit strange. Meekness means humble or gentle. When I think of these words, humble, gentle, meek, they're not the words that I typically spring to when I'm trying to define what wisdom is. As we move on into the next verse, it starts to talk about wisdom as the world defines it. It describes in verse 14 this earthly wisdom. It says that it is bitter, that it's jealous, that it's full of selfish ambition. And that selfish ambition is actually rooted in the heart. 
It also talks about being boastful, um, being full of falsehoods and, and untruths. These words are, are quite accurately, I think, defining uh, many leaders that are celebrated and looked up to in our culture, whether they're political leaders or leaders in industry and in the arts, celebrities around the world. These are the sort of things that we see them producing. The words in particular that stand out as, as reflecting that in my mind are selfish ambition and boastful. These qualities are celebrated in our world today. They're held up as being good things, being selfish, being boastful. These are held up and thought of as good things, but that's not necessarily a new thing. It would be historically inaccurate for us to think that. If you travel back through time, think about somebody like Henry VIII. These words would define him or, or some of the Caesars of the Roman Empire or Alexander the Great. The virtues, virtues I say, of, of selfish ambition and boastfulness are not new qualities. What the text then does later on is it, it moves on to describing God's wisdom. It's like comparing and contrasting it. You read these things in verse 17. What does it say? But the wisdom from above, that's how it's defined is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. I love that we don't have to wonder what God's wisdom looks like. It's right listed out for us here. And it's quite starkly different from the other list. If, if I was to kind of summate this second list, it's very humble. It's meek, like we were told in verse 13. God's wisdom is meek. If I were to try and summate the two lists, I would say that earthly wisdom, the first list, is very forceful and selfish. While in contrast, God's wisdom seems humble and sacrificial. The text doesn't just stop at telling us the characteristics of the two versions of wisdom. It also tells us the results. If you look at verse 16, it says that earthly wisdom results in disorder and vile practice, or another translation would say evil, disorder and evil. And then it says that wisdom from above, God's wisdom in verse 18, results in peace that produces righteousness. Don't be confused by those words. What it basically is saying is that God's wisdom results in peace and a life that is pleasing to God. Now, if we were to just take these two things at face value, it would be ridiculous for us to want earthly wisdom. You know, peace sounds like a much better outcome than disorder. If I were to stand here and say, okay, guys, uh, we've looked at both options. Which piece, you know, not which piece, which wisdom do you want to choose? The obvious answer would be the second option, God's wisdom. But what we need to do is we need to read the fine print on the label before we go making any decisions. We need to count the cost, as Jesus would have said or did say, before we make a decision, before we sign up, we need to know that God's wisdom often looks and feels strange to us. We see this happening many times in the Bible. I'll give you a couple of quick examples. Gideon is asked to go by God, asked to go and attack the enemy army that's over 100,000 men. But God, in his wisdom, whittles down the few thousand men that Gideon gets down together to 300 to fight them. Further on in the Bible, there's the story of David and how he faces Goliath. Goliath is, is this guy who's coming against the Israelites. And God, in his wisdom, sends David to fight him. 
David is this scrawny shepherd guy who, who doesn't even have the right armor on. He's a teenager. He doesn't have the normal weapons that you would fight with. But that's God's wisdom. If you fast forward to the central figure of the Bible, Jesus, we find this strange wisdom all over that story. When he arrives, he comes not to some palace, not with a whole bunch of pomp and royalty. This is God's son. Rather, he arrives in a dark and smelly stable, an animal shelter. And this continues through Jesus' life. All all the way we see this strange wisdom of God, even up to his death. The way that God decides to help mankind is for his son to die. And not just an ordinary death, death on a cross. That's a Roman instrument of torture. God's wisdom often, if not always, looks and feels strange to us. And that strangeness is not just constrained to the, to, to the pages of the Bible. If I were to just pick one example from re- more recent history, I would go to Jim Elliot. Jim is a young man who who felt compelled by the wisdom of God to go to Ecuador to share the news about Jesus. And after a relatively short and difficult time there in the 1950s, he is killed at the age of 28, along with his companions, while trying to tell people about Jesus. He's killed by the very people he's trying to reach. And he leaves behind a wife and a child. And we look at that story and we're like, wow, How is that wise? What's God up to in that? For those of you who believe in God and and are seeking to honor Him with your lives, you may have your own stories that you could add in here. You could tell us stories about how God in His wisdom has called you to do something, to change something, to share something that's been hard, it's been difficult. It's not felt comfortable. It's actually felt strange. How it's not what you planned or what you thought. Just thinking to my own story, I currently look at our circumstances and I'm like, God, what are you up to? I believe that God in his wisdom called us. I I firmly believe that God called us here to Scotland. But less than five months after our arrival here, we went into COVID-19 lockdown. And what that means is that I've spent a vast amount of time, most of my time in Scotland in lockdown not being out and about doing the things that I thought God was calling me here to do. You see, we wrestle with God's wisdom because there are a number of things that kind of just feel strange to us. And there's three common areas where we struggle with God's wisdom. And I want to talk to those very quickly. Firstly, we struggle with God's wisdom because we want to be comfortable. And yet God in His wisdom calls us to things that feel very uncomfortable. If you look back at verse 17 to the list of things describing wisdom, then it's not a comfortable list. It's not comfortable to be peaceable, to be gentle, 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 I made up a word, uh, merciful. That's not comfortable being any of those things. Jesus put this rather plainly when he was talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. He says, if anyone would come after me, as in if you want to follow along, be a part of our group, you have to deny yourself, i.e. you have to be uncomfortable to take up your cross and follow me. God's wisdom will often make us uncomfortable. God does this because he knows that when we are uncomfortable, it leads us to our knees. It leads us to greater dependence on him. He is a good father who knows that this is best for us. 
Secondly, we struggle with God's wisdom because we want people's approval. We want other people to look on us and think that we're awesome and and that we fit right in. But being a Christ follower and fitting in just don't go hand in hand. Let me give you a kind of a strange but and simple example of this. God's wisdom as described here, the first thing it says in verse 17 is that it is first pure. So let's take that as an example. That means that a Christian, a God follower in wisdom is not to dwell on things that would promote violence or promiscuity, or even greed, things like that. And what that may mean for you is that you decide, I'm not going to watch this television show or this television series that everybody else is watching. But what that then means is that when you go and hang out with other people like neighbors or friends or co-workers, and they're all talking about it, you're going to feel like you don't fit in because God's wisdom has called you to a higher standard. Now, that's a fairly simple example, but it goes deeper and it gets more complex. Like the way that you may feel foolish when you talk to friends and family about the decisions that you're making because the main reason that you're making the decisions that you are about maybe your career or where you live or how you spend your money is based on what you believe God is calling you to and how he's calling you to glorify him. Trust me, we've had some of those conversations and you feel like a weirdo. Don't underestimate how much the opinion of others will pull you from God's wisdom. Thirdly, we struggle with God's wisdom because we question God's understanding. We ask questions that sound a little like this. Does God really know what he's doing? Does God care? Is God seeing this thing from my perspective? What we're reaching at here is really the core of the issue. We struggle to trust in God's wisdom. Like our ancient relatives in the Garden of Eden, we question God's motives and we doubt His goodness. Now, I've quickly listed out these three things to show that we often find God's wisdom to be, yes, uncomfortable or embarrassing or even confusing. And I do that because I don't want us to pretend that the decision about God's wisdom and and jumping in and using, saying, yeah, that's what I'm all about, is an easy one. It's not a simple matter of earthly wisdom bad, God wisdom good. No, there is a difficult, some may even say impossible challenge to embrace and live out God's wisdom. But if we cast our eyes to Jesus... This is where we can find him to be so helpful because he shows us that it is possible to fully embrace and live out the wisdom of God. He pushed past the fact that following God and his wisdom was uncomfortable. I mean, I look at Jesus' life and I do not see a life of comfort. He resolved that he was not going to worry about the opinion of others. He trusted his father, God, And followed his wisdom even to his death. He is, Jesus is, wisdom personified. We don't have to wonder what wisdom looks like when it's fully embodied. We have a perfect example in Jesus. If we look back to the description of what God's wisdom looks like in verse 17, it's kind of interesting because if you look at that list again, 
we actually have a description of Jesus. You can look through those words and we know that Jesus was pure. Jesus was peaceable. Jesus is gentle. He's open to reason. And I would say that means he's approachable. He's full of mercy. He's full of good fruit. He was impartial. He is sincere. Jesus is the perfect picture of God's wisdom. Now, as I say that, you may start to compare yourself and say, okay, well, here's Jesus. He's a perfect example of God's wisdom. And oh my goodness, here's me. We all stumble in many ways. That's what James 3, 2 actually says, just a few verses further up. And what that means is we're all going to struggle. We all fall short. That's what Romans says of God's standard. When we doubt God's wisdom, when we embrace worldly wisdom, which we do, we need to be ready and willing to own that and to say, call it what it is. That is sin. It's rejecting God. It's rejecting His wisdom, His plan, His goodness. But this is exactly why Jesus came. He didn't just come to be a good example, which, by the way, He really is a good example of wisdom. He came because in perfect wisdom, He knew that He needed to die for us. He needed to die for our stumbling, our falling short, our, let's call it what it is, sin. So that we could be right with God. If all that I'm saying is true, what should we do? Well, firstly, let's embrace the grace of God. I say firstly because we've got to do that first. The call to wisdom here in the text is written to people who believe in God, to those who have acknowledged their sin and sought forgiveness from God through Jesus. And so before we go any further, have you done that? Don't try and live out God's wisdom without God. That actually is foolish. That won't work. Only by gratitude for grace and a relationship of trust in God can we fully embrace God's wisdom or wisdom as God defines it. The second practical encouragement is exactly that. Let's embrace, let's live out God's wisdom. As people who have received God's great love for us, let's reject worldly wisdom and let's fully embrace wisdom as God defines it here in this text. Even if that is uncomfortable, even if that is unpopular or beyond our understanding. The good news is we don't have to do that alone. The church is a community of people together seeking to follow God's wisdom, encouraging one another to follow God's wisdom. Also, we have this infinite resource in God. God the Father knows every atom and molecule in all time and space. I mean, if you want a resource of wisdom, He is wisdom. Jesus is the perfect example of wisdom. The Holy Spirit who comes and lives in us as people who believe is also called the counselor. What do you think he counsels us in? He counsels us in how to live a life that glorifies God by living a life of wisdom. And so through God's empowerment, let's live lives that are directed by 
God's wisdom. Lives that look a little bit like maybe Jim Elliot, who I talked about earlier. Yes, Jim died young at the age of 28, but it wasn't pointless. From just our limited perspective, we don't see everything like God sees everything. But from a limited perspective, we know that many from that tribe that he was trying to reach eventually came to faith through the story, through all that had happened. Many are eternally now secure because of the life and the sacrifice of Jim Elliot. Not only that, many, many have been inspired by Jim Elliot and his companions to go and live lives that follow recklessly after God's wisdom. And so I want to encourage you by closing with a few words of wisdom from Jim Elliot. Words that sound a lot like God's wisdom. Jim is famous for saying this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. This is what godly wisdom is sounds like.